a Mitch and Jeremy exclusive. Are you ready? On air. Online. You ready to have a good time? On your smart speaker and wherever you stream. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews and episodes on demand now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of it. Wi-Fi. Hey, there you go. What, has Brian got you staying at the Super 8 with, like, dial-up Wi-Fi? Shit, what's going on here? Why do you have such a badass background? I gotta get something. Look at it. Good Nice. There you go. We're professionals. We got some lights. Oh, yeah, that's great. Hey, there you go. Go in the bathroom. Sit on the commode. (laughs) Believe it or not, we are in the uh, top 1% of uh, podcasts. Believe Are we? Yeah, we we are. Good for you, man. Yes, out of three million podcasts, we we are ranked in the top one percent. Look at us. Okay, now, I, you know what? Is that you, Mitch, right there? Am I looking yeah. at Mitch? I'm You're Mitch. Looking, I don't know if we did we meet. We did once a long time ago in 1985. Believe it or not, you played. You would have been uh, in like high school or middle I school. I was in high school, and you played the uh, Montreal Forum with Brian two times in September of that. Yeah. Year. Oh, you were at the September one. Yeah, I was at. Well, I was at everyone. I didn't miss any, but I saw. But you played two <laughs> times in September, and uh, back in the old Montreal Forum, there wasn't really a backstage area like they are now. You sort of, if you just sort of like walked around, you could just sort of go behind the curtain, which is yeah. what I did. <laughs> which is what I did, and it was funny because Brian came out, and you know, all the girls and everybody was running after him, and yeah. and uh, Keith had his guitar, and everybody was running after him, and you just walked out casually, like I'm just some dude, and I went, hey. You're you're Pat the drummer, and you're like, yeah, hey, that's a good. and I, I I was thrilled that I got to meet a rock star, and I think you were thrilled that you got recognized. So it was a moment of thrillness. It was a moment of thrillness for both of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, hanging around those two dudes, you know, you get you take all you can, right? <laughs> right. So it's like, hey, look at it's the guy. He was on stage tonight. So yeah, so that yeah, was right. Uh, wow, you know Mitch, I you remember... were. No, go on. Oh, go ahead. Uh, uh, I, I was just fifteen. I was just going to say, Mitch, you were totally fangirling, like. Yeah. Well, you have to understand that. Now, now, you see, um, uh, Pat, Jeremy here is our our number one DJ in Montreal. He's our number one, but he's only 28. So he wasn't around. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to understand, Jeremy, two things. First of all, um, Reckless was a diamond record in Canada. That that didn't happen. There weren't diamond records in Canada. It wasn't a no, thing. I think so, who was all had one? I think Michael Jackson and maybe Celine or something. No, there was no Celine then. It was, uh, oh, oh, hey. It was uh, Bruce Springsteen at the time. Oh, okay. 19, uh, um, born in the USA. Yeah, hold on one Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I miss my dog now. <laughs> you don't bring the pooch out on the road with you? Oh, man. Well, I, I take her on the road. When we when we fly, we go down to Mexico a couple times a year, and yeah. and, and I, we take her with us. It's awesome. WestJet. There's a yeah. direct flight. It's like four hours on, and... Uh, and we do that, but yeah, no, I don't yeah. take her. Uh, you can't, they, you know. they do a better job of handling the dogs, too. Did you see that video like last week of the, the dog getting loose on the tarmac and all the gate agents oh, and no. handles were chasing it? <laughs> That's oh, great. And he's probably freaking out and there's the sound of jets. Yeah. Oh, my God. That would be a shit show. But the, yeah. uh, let me just get, let me just finish that story real quick. So, yep. so Diamond back then meant basically that one out of 25 people in the country had the record. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, that was what yeah, it right. meant. You've done your maths. Done, I, I did like the that. math. So, so Brian Adams' Reckless was, was not just a record by a Canadian artist. It was a movement. It was a moment in time. It was a cultural phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So seeing anybody who touched it, whether it was Jim Valens or Pat or Ke- whoever was involved... Yeah we're at a, like a new status they were at like a next level so so yeah being 15 and saying that's the guy that played on whatever summer of 69 or it's only love it's just mm-hmm. like, dude that's the guy that's awesome man well and, and, and at 15 we all i mean i think it still exists because it's part of you know your hormones and you're growing but right. you know for sure in the 80s with um um much music and all these types of things you know, it would just be, and and the the type of uh, mind that you are obviously already had, Mitch, about yeah. music and what, and based on what you do now. So that I, I get it. I get the uh, the mind blow that you're describing. You know, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, and of course, with CanCon and stuff, Reckless, you know, all the Canadian stations were like, oh, dude, we got something that's CanCon and that's actually good that we can play. So they played it all day. I mean, it was like a 24-hour, 24-7 Brian Adams radio pretty yeah. much across There must Canada. have been some station that did something like that, even, yeah. you know, or just played it. Yeah, Some guy exactly. played it, just, it played over and over and over for fucking 24 hours. <laughs> Listen, we, we, we can play Brian Adams' Summer of 69 or Luba. Let's go with Brian. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, by the right. way, I and love she Luba. For us. She's, yeah, and she's great. And her guitarist, uh, Jeff Smallwood, is a man, that guy. He was phenomenal. Are they still, do they still operate and, and tour and stuff? Uh, Smallwood, uh, well, I don't know if Luba operates and stuff. I know she's on uh, Facebook and she comments on stuff, but uh, Jeff mm-hmm. is out with um, uh, Rock Voisine or one of the French uh, artists. Okay. So, yeah, he's he's still, but he he was so good. Anyway, uh, yeah. Jeremy, listen, they, uh, we, we sort of started. See, yeah. I was just going to say, like, earlier, it wasn't that. Oh, maybe it was that tour. Hang on. There was a tour. In 85, where Luba opened for us. Was it the winter or the summer? You know what? I think it was, <laughs> I think it might have been later because I think Idle Eyes opened for us. Yes, Idle Eyes. That's point, the band Luba that did. I saw. I saw Idle Eyes because I do not remember having seen Luba, but right. I do remember Idle Eyes. And then a few years ago, so I was with Pearl Drums for a while, and right. uh, the head office for Canada is in Montreal yep. out at Jam Industries. Yeah, which is right and by which which I actually walk by every day with the dogs. Oh, you're out, you live out out west. I live on the West Island. Yeah, and cool. and Jan, and the, the guy that now runs Pearl is Peter. I'm forgetting his last name. He was a, excuse me. He was a drummer with uh, with Luba in those days. He's like he's a super low mellow kind uh, of profile of of a guy the way he talks, but. But he's like, yeah, Pat, we met. Uh, we met back in 1985. I was I toured with Luba and blah blah blah. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, right. <laughs> You're like, oh, <laughs> damn, all right, yeah. yeah and uh, but, Jeremy, just real quick, the one thing about Jam Industries because it really is like a stone's throw from here. The one thing that's always got me is that years ago they had a secret Christmas party or some kind of, and I had Phil Collins come in and play, and I was like, wow, that was a stone throw away, and I can't go, fucker. <laughs> oh my god, that would have been amazing. <laughs> no kidding. But they had, they had Although, hired Phil Collins. I mean, I like, guess if they hired him to be, they probably paid him to be there. So it's like, oh, you could take in all the festivities, but could you give us like a little 30-minute drum thing? You know, I mean, I'm sure he had to do something. Yeah. Oh, of course. Uh, so, yeah. Wow, that's way back because he's been with Gretsch forever. Yeah. But he no, no, was, no, no. I was searching something for him recently and I found, oh, that's right. He played Pearl way back. So I don't know when he switched. Mm-hmm. So I don't know when that party was, but. Uh, I think it was like eighty six or eighty seven. Right, right. Like okay. long, exactly. long, long time ago. Yeah. The, the the next big exciting thing 16. is that I was sixteen. The next big exciting thing is that right next to it, there's a place that sells bicycles, or they make bikes. And Honeymoon Suite played there, but that I was invited to. <laughs> oh, that would have been good. That yeah. that was awesome. It, it was Man, a Christmas. You, it was literally a song. Christmas party. No, they did a whole set. And uh, there was literally like fifty people in there because it was just employees. And I love how was, Mitch is just sounding like a fangirl right now. It's hilarious. Well, listen, <laughs> listen, Reckless is Reckless is not just an album. Not not to Canadians back who who lived through it. I mean, you have to understand. It just it it was a different. It put Canada on the map. Suddenly, it's like oh, that northern country. It's like oh, wow, Brian Adams, Reckless. You know, yeah, I thought they only had igloos up there. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what they thought, and and I, they as much do. as we love Triumph and as much as we love Rush and stuff, they weren't really MTV darlings. They weren't really radio friendly, you know, top FM kind of bands. Brian was, and all of a sudden the states went, "Oh, that Canada is is kind of cool." So yeah, it really did open the even more doors, didn't it? But it did. uh, you know what I gotta say because you said Triumph. When I was growing up, I was a Rush guy from like right. the second record on, you right. know, first record. But um, and then I got into, I moved to this town in high school, and people were talking about this band called Triumph, and I went, I went another trio Canadian. No, 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 I got Rush, but they're a whole <laughs> other thing. But I watched that Netflix thing recently. Yeah, oh, yeah, and it was awesome. I really liked it. You know, like I, I respect those guys, and there was a bunch of stuff, and I'm like, oh, I forgot about that song, or I forgot about that era, and you know. The stuff that happened for them, and, and they were like a big deal to Colombia in America. 
Yeah. Yeah. That was, that blew my mind. I didn't realize how much of a big deal they were at a certain time, you know? Yeah. I so feel like it's it. good that that it's good. That's whoever made that and got it out there. You know, it's, it's good news. Yeah. Cause it's part of the history and, and, you know, uh, I'm cool with it now. Now, when I when if a rush if a triumph song comes on, I go okay. There's going to be a massive single headed concert Tom fill somewhere in this song. <laughs> and, yes, and he yes. he delivers, man. <laughs> yes, he does. More, man. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, anyway, look, okay. we didn't even do an intro, but we're talking to Pat Stewart. Uh, Brian Adams, so happy it Hurts World Tour kicking off, and it's going to be hitting uh, Montreal, the Bell Center, on September 12th. Tickets go on sale this Friday. Uh, actually, next Friday at eventco.ca. Hitting pretty much uh, every major Canadian city or village you can think of at this point. They're playing everywhere <laughs> from St. Catharines to yeah. Alma to Trois-Rivières, Moncton, Montreal, Toronto, like every one of them. Um, oh, I'm missing Tuk to Yuktuk. That's, that's yeah. the only place that they're not oh. hitting. You're missing right. Gunasadaga and Ganawagan. It's about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Metallica played up there. Yes, they did. That's why yeah. I mentioned it. Yeah, yeah. Tuck to yuck, tuck. So what's, what's going on? So Pat, what's the, what's the dealio? Like you were off the, like you're on the road back with Brian. Like what the what happened to Mickey? Well, first of all, let me just say thanks uh, for having me here. Yeah. Yes. Because we sort of set that up and then we all we derailed ourselves. Yeah. Yes, we did but because it, you were recording with the odds, here. or are you recording? You were recording with another band. Are the odds right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Oh, wait, well, we've got two questions going at once. But you guys yeah. must know my ADD personality. Yes. It's, Come on, Mitch. Give it the program. All at once. Throw a few more out there. Um, anyway, I don't really know. I don't know exactly what's going on in this camp with, with regards to how Mickey feels about things. Um, he's um, uh, he, he's a guy that, is, is, you know, what has been like an invisible uh, mentor and teacher or something for me because the stuff I had, the take over and and master when uh, in 1984 85 when when we got ready for reckless you know he's like he's been an important guy and a figure to me and over the years i we had maybe three or four pretty cool little hangouts so he's a guy i i i love and and respect mm -hmm. and uh you know every once in a while something has come up in the last five years um it, he wasn't available or something or uh it was a time of year where they normally don't tour but they i think they kind of went brian's office went you know hey if we can i don't know if they go hey if we can get pat we'll do a gig but if, they, if we can get the lineup then we could do that gig or whatever you know a couple mm -hmm. of private functions that came up right and so that's just been the odd thing i mean i, I i've always been in touch with him since the post reckless years mm -hmm. um mostly since around 05 when he started making a record called 11 and we started doing some recording and so since then you know it was a, if he's in town i usually see him at the studio or, and sometimes i go and record on something so yeah you know sort of a natural move from from his end i think mm -hmm. and um I, you know i like i said I, I i don't know exactly what what what's uh mickey's thoughts are right. about everything that's going on um yeah. And, and there's stuff going on in the world, right? And people don't want to get out there. And well, I that's think we figured. We thought maybe Mickey was like, ah, you know what, pandemic. I don't feel like going out on the road and catching COVID. I'm saying, well, guess much. what? How many people have said that recently? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and, and that yeah. that is true. That is true for a lot of people that, that we probably all know, right? So um, I don't know, but um, I'm I'm super happy to. You know, this is what I do. I that's my job. I play yeah. drums, and uh, I love doing it. And it's no better camp to um, sort of, in a sense, re re-enter or something. Um, and we, you know, we it started in November. We went to Las Vegas and did a couple of weeks of shows. Yeah, and um, um, you know, um, and and that was an exercise in oh, I'm filling in a, a big pair of shoes that for 30 years these guys have been doing certain things a certain way. So every day was like, oh, hey, well, let's go over this and let's go over. And, you know, lots of stuff to go over. And, you know, it's been I've been working hard a lot for the last few months and uh, on and off with gigs and then uh, getting ready for this. We came over. We've been over here just over a month now. We went to wow. Scandinavia and uh, did uh, about nine shows in 12 days or something. And then and then we stayed up there and rehearsed for uh, almost a week because we did the shows recently at the Royal Albert Hall where mm -hmm. we played uh, the residency at Royal. I mean, how cool we did like that? a residency, man. It was, it was crazy. And we walked to the gig. It was like a 10 minute walk from the hotel. Nice. Wow. So we did, we did the whole night. We did cuts like a knife 
And, and then we, and then we take a break. You have to legally take an intermission there. And then, uh, and then, <laughs> really? the, and then we do the sort of the set that we do and then a variation on that. And then, uh, and then the next night was into the fire and the next night was waking up the neighbors. So it was, uh, it was, it was big and lots of work for about three days. You know, luckily I'm glad to have a day off after that. I'll tell you. Man. Yeah. It sounds like a grueling yeah. schedule. Jeez. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's been four weeks, but it feels like, it feels like six or something. Right. You know? How does it feel to be back on the road, like playing these songs? Was it was it easy to get back into the groove of it, or did it take a lot? Like musically, did it take a lot of rehearsing on your part? Well, yeah, that's sort of what I was just saying. Yeah. Was that yeah. I, I have done a lot of work, but you know? uh, but how do you do that? Like, do you take board tapes from like the last couple of shows that they did, or like, are you trying to learn the arrangement, like the endings and stuff? Like, where is the process? yeah? There's some arrangement changes and endings, and there are some live uh, board tapes. MP3s show up in the mail, you know. Um, <laughs> So, uh, like, I got some stuff a couple of years ago for a, a corporate that we did in the summer. That was in, like, 20, I think, 2018. Right. And um, so I, I was like, oh, and I had the, so I'm, like, learning the album version of 18 Till I Die. But then I listened to the live version. I go, oh, it does a different thing. Or, you know, or this song doesn't do the second verse when we go right to the bridge or something. Yeah. So, um, that's what I do. I, I, I usually listen to it. And I usually, I have these little charts that i make just so that it's like a little bible that i keep and if i you know i'll go down the road six months later and, and someone might go hey what are you doing in the bridge and i go right. oh blah, blah 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 and then i'll pull out my notes i go oh there is two bars before the bridge or, or whatever it is and for some reason you know months and months go by and sometimes some little little habits slip in and then everyone's on board with it and then someone might go why are we going into the bridge too soon or whatever that's not exactly what's going on but 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 anyway so i'll listen to the stuff and then I, I i make my arrangements and it's just it's just a reference you know yeah, it's yeah. just so like here's here's a little map of what the arrangement is or uh and then i get a live version or then we change it so then then i'm like do i keep two versions of the same song because that's the original <laughs> but um you know, yeah. so I, I have, um, I, I carry around about three pounds of uh, paper with uh, all kinds of hieroglyphics on it. Yeah. And because well, uh, it's funny, I mean, you know, you're, you played Waking Up the Neighbors and it's entire. I mean, like, can't stop this thing we started for the year, for years. He was, he was dropping the whole second verse and it goes into the do, 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 oh, like right away. Is that what the Phil does, by the way? See, now I got to research that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, it it's the Mutt Lang do, 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 oh. No, well, I'll tell you what, they, that's exactly what we do. We just, I, I don't know why. Maybe for him, it was just like, I don't, I've never heard anyone say that they have a problem with it. It's like, oh, let's do this song, but let's cut that out so we can get to the next song. You know, and there's like, right. It might be, uh, I don't know, just wanting to get to the next thing and let's, let's the play less a lot of waste stuff. more hits tour with Brian Adams. Like, but I'll tell you, man, when I went into, uh, so at the beginning of, or the end of March, for I did about three weeks. There's a, a little rehearsal place near where I live. And, 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 and I worked out a deal with the guy. We're like, no, 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 I don't. I want to come in at 8 a.m. and leave at noon. He goes, oh, oh, here, I'll just give you the key, man. He goes, I'm not even up there. And so I would get up like super early, take my dog out and then get this, this little ferry from where I live. And I'd go over to New Westminster and, uh, um, and I would hit this rehearsal place, you know, and I, the first day I sat down, I went, okay, I feel pretty good about Cuss Like a Knife. Let's just run it. And I just sit and run it. So I didn't really, I got all this stuff in my mind from the eighties when we played a fair bit of that. But right. there's about five songs or something, but I guess around half that we never played, but I've always liked, right. you know, what's it going to be? And don't leave me lonely. And those are two songs. And we finally, we played them and, uh, and he recorded it. And he said to me the other day, he goes, man, that stuff we recorded. He goes, it's sounding really good, man. Like everybody played and it's really tight. And I'm going, I got to a point where I went, you know what? It's almost like his, that album is his outlandos de more the, you know that first police album because right. it's kind of rough and ready even though Cusack and Knife is hi-fi for the time but compared to the other albums it's like wow this is kind of lo-fi right. you know what I mean yeah so yeah. I just ran through that and went okay well that's good and I said into the fire I started on that and I go I know what's going to happen in my brain is there's a song called Native Son and there's a song called Remembrance Day and yep. for, there's something about them that's really similar but they don't do the same thing. And so that was messing with my mind. And in my sleep, I was like, oh, no, the bridge doesn't come in now, you know? Yeah. Um, so I worked on that. And then I sat down the third day. I sat down with Waking Up the Neighbors. And and I just, well, I sat at home and I started charting it all out. And I heard three songs on there. I'm like, I have never, 
I've never heard this song. There's a song called Depend on Me, there's a song called Not Guilty, which is oh, kind Not of Guilty one of is one of my favorite songs off that record. Man, we started playing it again. Like we just after we did the Royal Albert, we're like, he's like, What else? should we do anything? And I said, because Keith and I were talking about the, the guitar part or something. And I said, Well, what, what about not guilty? He goes, Should we do that tonight? Sure, let's do it. Boom. And then we so we started playing that the last couple of nights. And um uh but anyway, so I had a, a, a quite a bit of work. Uh, laid out for me on that album but somehow i wrote my hieroglyphics but mostly i would just sit down and put the headphones on and do like like that's how i learned to play was i'd come home from school and i'd put on a whatever album doobie brothers or led zeppelin and i would uh i would just learn it in, in yeah. my head so i sort of got back to that part of playing and learning music you know yeah uh which is really the best it's like I know the song because I've played it a lot of times. So, and it's still exciting to play, which is the number one thing. And of course, well, you're recreating the Mont Lang program drums from Waking Up the Neighbors anyway. So you have to be robotic well, you know in some sense. <laughs> I, I added an extra crash cymbal and I raised everything up about two inches because we started playing it. I went, oh my God, there's so many twos and fours crashes. Yeah. So, damn on the one bad. hand, it might be a nightmare out front for the sound man. I was asking him about it last night, but <laughs> that's the part. Like, especially in Not Guilty, right? Yeah. yeah. Or There Will Never Be Another Tonight. Like, you need that, there will never, you need, you need those crashes. <laughs> yeah. Tang in the hump and hitting the crashes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you yeah, get any so, say uh, in your, uh, in your drum tone, like live, do you get to tell the front of house guy, like, hey, we need more cannonball in the snare? Like, <laughs> do you not have any really. control I just that? set the drums up and tune to what I think feels good to play. And right. is that going to be good for you up front? And he's, He's great. He, uh, Jody has been doing mixing this band forever since yeah. he and Keith have been playing with Brian since 1981. Right. And, you know, wow. uh, he was great back in 85. People were like, so uh, what kind of samples are you guys using up there? And I'm like, we don't use samples. So drums are called at that time. I was playing these uh, fiberglass drums made in Vancouver called Milestone. Oh, and uh, and they have sort of a different sound, but we just had a great front of house guy, you know, like he's really good. It makes a big difference. So, oh, it does. The it's, team makes it's a like difference. The, the, you know, it's like the fourth Beatle or the fifth band member or whatever, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Fifth Beatle, not fourth. The fifth Beatle. And yeah. just real quick on on uh, Into the Fire, playing that yeah. in its entirety, how was that for you? Because, I mean, obviously that's the album after Reckless. That's the album when Mickey came back. Was it yeah. sort of bittersweet to play it or was it like, fuck, yeah, I want to get my, my, my drums on these. I, w- I want to hear Another Day with me playing or Heat of the Night with me playing. Um, yeah, I suppose uh, for a time it was bittersweet. But, right. you know, it was it was tough for me at that time in about 86 for a couple of years. And then, you know, whatever. I knew why there was I knew why that all happened. It was just right. hard to it was a hard pill to swallow at the time. Right. But I knew why. And I wasn't going to, uh, you know, get get angry and, and get physical or something like some people do. You hear stories. It's like that happened for a reason. Uh, I'm competing with a guy who is a the best in North America, especially in 1986. He was you couldn't turn the radio on in Vancouver without hearing a track that Mickey played on. Right. So you're competing with the best. He's got 10 years more experience than you. I, you know, I look back at it now and I, go, Fuck it. I, I, I kind of held my own. OK, I did. All right. Yeah, right. You know well, what it's I mean? It's kind of cool so, to play it in 2022, though. You get a chance to put to your... But to go back and visit it, yeah. um, it might be like those three records. Well, actually, and, and the um, you, you Want It, You Got It. Yeah. Those four records are some of the best drum tracks, parts, fills, the stuff that, the stuff that he played on there, you know, uh, it's so, so good. And Into the Fire might be uh, the last great record of... Uh, where there's so many great drum fills. As my other drummer friend said, um, he said, yeah, like it seems like some of the later records don't contain the iconic drum fills. And you're right, like somebody has it going into the um, outro of Cuts Like a Knife has it. Uh, There's a bunch of stuff on Into the Fire that's, you know, I was playing last night where we've added Rebel back to the show just because it's it's awesome. It's a great story. and, you know, he talks about that. It's to do with his grandparents and 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 going to and coming back from the war, you know, mm-hmm. war, first and second world war. And we're in Britain. People get it. They get that, you know. And um, so especially in this um, context, these the, days. The bills, oh, anyway, so so to, to play those songs has been 
it wasn't problematic at all. It, it's like honor and 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 we're we're holding the flag up of this this great recording and these great great drum tracks. Yeah, oh, that's great. Um, and, does that and, answer it? it <laughs> yeah, does. totally. And Mickey, here, Mickey I'll, told I'll, us that um, he recorded those drums right into the fire in uh, in Brian's uh, kitchen, apparently. <laughs> oh, for the uh, oh well, he had a house. Yeah. at that time in West Vancouver and he had it all outfitted the the basement was the SSL board and all that yeah. and then upstairs in the walls like it's probably all still there it's outfitted for uh, to plug in XLRs right mm. so wow. it was kind of the unless they I don't think they moved it but it, it just off the kitchen was a dining room and it's an old you know 100 year old giant West Vancouver house yeah i don't know if it's 100 but um and so i because i went up and we we tracked some stuff and he had said he goes you know i'm gonna get mickey to come in and do some songs like for sure victim of love and things like that like i just couldn't play a song like that at the time without a click track mm-hmm. that right. slow tempo and uh um you know and then and then as, as it, what happened was that he beca- he was a free agent you know he worked with hollow notes forever yeah. So he'd come into town, he'd do a record with Brian, and Brian would ask him to join the band. He's like, eh, you know, why would you quit this big, great job that you have and join up with a, an indie act that's, although you're great friends and the music's great, you know, you, you're making a living doing this thing. Yeah. You know, right. I'm sure that was his take. And then Holland split up. He he was out there recording in 86, and he goes, well, Daryl's out in the road with Mike Beard on drums, so I, I guess I'm available. You know, so that's right. basically just how that all went, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. j- just one more question before we get over to gear. Uh, okay. You, of course, played on Summer of 69. So yeah. a couple of things about that, because first of all, the, even the drum track, the whole thing is iconic. Um, is that yours, like from your head? Because I know Jim Valance, when he writes, he's a drummer. He played, he was a drummer in Prism. He would lay down all the drums. So did you just sort of just copy what he did or emulate what he did? Or did you actually have a freedom to go be Pat and do your own thing? Uh, I would say I got the freedom. To, okay. to be me and, and, and the cool thing about how that came how that happened was that we were at this little facility in north end where we would rehearse and um then bob so i don't know we're gonna rehe- we're gonna go in on saturday and i think it was like a thursday or something bob clear mountain came to town and um we're gonna go record with him i don't know who he is you know bob, brian just goes hey are you working this weekend with your band i'm like uh no he goes great because bob's coming in i'm like Okay, A, good thing I'm not working. And who's Bob? (laughs) I didn't know. And I thought it's true. Some guy from Vancouver. You know, all these guys. All these guys, Mike Fraser, Bob, they they were nobodies until Brian Adams and Motley, you know, Bob Rock, Bob Claire. You know, all these guys became something later. We we chat every once in a while. Mike's just a a sweetheart dude, and he's been doing amazing work forever. But, But what I wanted to say was that. I sat in a room, I was at an age where I was like, what is the right bass drum part to play in a song? And, and is that based on what the bass is doing? Or because the rhythm guitar is doing this, you know what I mean? Like, I have been, since then, I was like 22. Since then, I've all, I like, I always think about that. And now that, I mean, it's just, you know, uh, experience and hours on the job. Now I understand more. You can just play one and three and, and the stuff can move around if you listen to what ACDC do. And then other people are like, oh, I want you to hit that shot with the rhythm guitar. And they're like, okay, it can go so many ways. So with those guys, I was, I was kind of like, Brian was like, yeah, we'll play off the top, but you hit a flam and then, and then we're going to start. He had this idea. And then I, I was like, okay. And then we sort of pieced together that intro, the boom, boom with the kick drum, which was, uh, you know, I heard something the other day and I went, oh, that's just kind of a classic thing. And I go, did, did we steal from that? Did I steal from that? I don't know. But, yeah. you know, we got going and I, and I had some ideas and Bob and I'd say, Bob, I go, well, what should I do when he goes, uh, when I think back now, I go, what's a kick drum pattern? What, what should I do there? And he goes, why don't you just do, and then he, he, he air drums a thing. And I go, yeah, that seems right. And then, you know, maybe I, I might've added one note to that or something. Cause that's mm-hmm. kind of straight. And then, um, cause even when we play it, I, I just sort of, I do those parts, but by the end of it nowadays, uh, I, I kind of, I mean, I've, I've watched him when Mickey was playing it. I go, Oh, well, he's played that song a billion times. So after a while you kind of stray from the arrangement, but, yeah. um, but anyway, I, I got to work with, you know, two of the best, the best producer and the best songwriter with uh, regards to, I've got some ideas about the song. What do you, does this work? They go, yeah, that's great. So 
as a young musician writer, those those are you know to have a peer like that confirm that what you're thinking is a good idea. That's that helped, you know. Yeah. And then you know Brian had some ideas, and and we we developed that breakdown fill between the two of us. And um, you know, uh, I recently was doing some stuff with him, and and he's going well. Actually, drums was my first instrument. And when I was going home that night, I realized I go okay, so that makes sense. Why those records are so good is because of he would cut together great performances, great drum fills. It wasn't, oh, that take isn't good. Let's do another take. It's do four takes and whichever one has the best fills, I'm going to put those fills on whichever, you know, because that's mm. what people do. And he yeah. was doing that with tape. Wow. You know, and sometimes it's most of a take and you go, oh, that intro and that chorus. So those have better fills. So I'm going to cut it from take seven and put it on take three or whatever. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So what, is there any of that stuff that was cut live off the floor with like one take sort of thing? Or was it really kind of pieced together? Well, it's always live off the floor with everybody. But right. um, I can't speak for things they did with Mickey. And I, I, I hope, I, I think there probably were. But but I realized, though, even, you know, like with Pro Tools, we, you know you know what you can do. It's a copy and paste thing that, that yeah. anyone that operates in that world now some people don't some people go i think of pro tools as a roll of tape and i and i like that that's a good attitude it's like let's do a whole take you know when i was recording with matthew good back in uh like oh, oh, 2003 and four we made a couple of really cool records and warren livesey is his producer and and that's what he said so we would like do takes and he would listen to the whole take he goes, everything's great here he goes you know what i think the intro on that other take feels better so i'm just going to put that on this whole take mm -hmm. so we did that and on that record i did with him we did a couple there was a couple of first takes and most of them were like second maybe third take wow. with him and that's a different artist but with brian brian's got a, a big uh, when he made that comment about that drums were his first instrument i realized he all along has had a vision of he's had a plan you know mm -hmm. like a right. great producer bob rock when i work with him sometimes i'm like Sure, I'll put that drum up, or I'll put this cymbal up, or whatever, because yeah. he he knows what a Black Beauty is going to sound like at the end of the day after he adds the strings and yep. all the, all the other instruments. They've got a vision, you know. It's either going to so sound honky or with overtones. It's going to yeah. pop. What's that now? I said it's either going to sound honky or tons of overtones. It's something's got to bury it in the mix. <laughs> yeah, and you know those guys have done it so much they know what to do to get rid of the honk or the whatever it might be. Yeah. I, it's interesting. You listen to you know like the you're silent type, and then the ja like that that snare sound on like one night love affair. Like, do you remember what uh -huh. snare you were using? Well, we always used a black beauty. It was always it was like a, a six and a half by fourteen. It is. You know your numbers. Yeah, it's a six and a half by fourteen, and it's a brass shell, and then they do this black anodizing on the outside, so it isn't chrome looking. It's black looking. It looks like black chrome, and it's. Yeah. I mean, I use that live when we started playing. In November, I brought down another Ludwig that I like to use, and I realized I go, oh, I brought the wrong drum. Totally, this is too small. It was five inches. So wow. I'm like, no, this this music. I realized a couple things in a Vegas show. This music was made with those instruments. Those guys still play the same guitars they recorded with. Why mm -hmm. wouldn't you? You know, it, yeah. it's a tele, it's a Stratocaster. So to me, it's like it needs to be a Black Beauty or something equivalent of big and. And made for me, it needs to be made of of, of a metal, brass or, or steel, and um, you know, and even down to there was a couple symbols I was using, and I had a, a couple of pals were out. Uh, Brent Fitz is a drummer with um, yeah. Slash, Slash, yeah. and and Eric Singer. Those guys are buddies, and Eric plays with Kiss, and they live in Vegas, and they came and hung out, and we went for coffees after because that's what Brent does. He goes for coffees. It doesn't matter what time of day. Right. And uh, sounds like me. And shopping at Zellers. <laughs> that's what I remember from Brent. What's that? <laughs> Coffees and sh shopping at Zellers. When he, when he came to Montreal one time, he was like, take me to the Zellers. Take me, take me to the Zellers. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. He loved the Zellers. Yeah, he's a beaut. But those guys made a couple comments about uh, sitting up front. They go, what's that symbol you're using over there? I go, oh, it's this thing that I, and it's something I use at home a lot and I use in the studio a lot. And he goes, yeah, that one was, of all the symbols you have, it, it was the worst sounding. It didn't cut. I went, really? And then I had this other one that I just threw up and I've had for a while, but I never really use because mm -hmm. I do a lot of recording and I like a lot of thinner and darker kind of symbols. Right. And I realized that symbol there is an 80s sound. We're, I'm playing 80s music. So right. 
I, it was a really cool lesson. I went, okay, I got to have the black beauty and I got to get some more of those symbols. And yeah. then I contact Sapien. Sapien is my symbol company from since that those days, since 1984. And, and they go, oh, we don't make that anymore. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and then they go, so, but we can make you one. I think they're going to maybe redevelop something like it. But um, oh. so I have a couple of them. And, and when they break, I'm going to be crying. Because right. they're like the perfect symbol for this band. And, you know, I don't know. I've been changing things up. Like I said, I added another crash because we're doing all this mutlang based stuff. Right. And it's just I need to have a, two crashes. It's, it's not going to work because you hit it. It's flinging around. You're coming around three beats yeah. later to hit it again. And it's in the wrong angle. So just get more. And a, and a lot of those two and four symbol hits, like they're, they're small symbols, like 16 or, you know, on the record. Are you a drummer? Yeah. Oh, okay. well, he's he, yeah. he's our well, you know he's what? our tech know, guy. He, he knows down. everything. <laughs> I currently have like I was you know over the last few years I I go like a night with the odds I would just use an, I got rid of the ride because I we don't have ride I just have a nineteen and a twenty or two twenties or something yeah. and and with this band I went no like what you said so I'm, at, at the moment I've got three eighteens no two eighteens yeah no the nineteen broke so I got three eighteens and a twenty. That's pretty nerdy right there, but yeah, yeah. Um, Way too big for Brian Adams music. <laughs> it, 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 like it works fine. Yeah. You know, it's a different thing. And, and I was, but I do have this other 20 out here. So I might do some experimenting on the next day here at Soundcheck and just go, what if I do this? How will this work? And, you know, cause I kind of like having a, a little bit bigger than 18, but, but at the moment I got three 18s. It's kind of funny. Yeah. I mean, Alex Van Halen had a 18, 19, 20, and then another 19. So it was like, they were kind of all, but they're oh, always musical. They're always yeah. musical though. Like you'd hit it and like, you know, on the two and the four, he'd hit a certain yeah. symbol because of the certain tonality it had, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know and, and and how about the day I realized Phil Rudd, he has pretty, he has like nine 20 inch 2002s. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. And they're a lot of that. the same size. And I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. And look, I mean, another Mutt Lang record on the two and four. You listen to Hell Bells, Hell's Bells at Dan Ups and Ups. It's it's always he's yeah. always hitting the crash with the snare. Well, yeah, yeah, it, that's that might have been Mutt's thing there too. And that's yeah, there's some really good stuff on that record or that track especially. Yeah, I yeah. love it. Do you remember what hi hats you used on um, on the Reckless album? Do I remember? Yeah. Well, I I went in. They rented a like. I remember Brian going, "Hey, what do you need for a kit?" And and I told him what. Because I, I I knew that Mickey used three racks and two floors. I went, well, I'm recording the music of this artist, that, so I'll just do the same. He goes, can you handle that? That's a lot of toms. I go, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I just lied. I just said, yeah, I can handle that. And I had been practicing at home with, I put a kit together and added another tom, and I, I, I had enough to do it. So I've been practicing on it. Um, and then, so we just rented that from um, a drum shop in Vancouver called Drums Only mm. and um, Ray Ayotte of Ayat drums and then um uh and i think they just rented a bunch of symbols i mean i had symbols and in those days i couldn't i don't know i had made i i wasn't you know i had one of the earliest um you know when sabian came out in uh, 81 or something I, I bought one of the ride symbols in 81 or 82 mm -hmm. and and i had a couple zildjans from my high school days um so i think we just rented a bunch of stuff mm -hmm. um and I, I couldn't tell you what hats. They were 14-inch Zildjans, for sure. Yeah. Then, yeah. yeah. I kind of remember, because I think I asked Mickey if he remembered, too, and he said the same thing. He's like, yeah, pretty much like all the stuff was rented and whatever. Right. But a lot of the... Yeah, he would show up to Vancouver, and they would just do the same thing and rent a kit, right? Yeah. But it's interesting, because the record, I mean, you listen to the drum tracks, and they kind of sound pretty similar through this. So it's like, if it was a different kit or not, like, I can't tell the difference. Um, no, you know what? It, it, in fact, I remember I went down... And I had been jamming with those guys. And then Keith one night said, why don't you come by? We're down here recording. So I went in and I sat down in the front, but in front of the console, which is almost like at a different floor level. Mm -hmm. So, and I was really sort of intimidated to be there. And I didn't, I knew Keith and Brian, but I realized, okay, Brian's busy. He's not going to talk to me. And, 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 and they had done, they had recorded somebody and Mickey was out on the floor and they were just overdubbing, trying out different fills, those fills that you know on the album. Yeah. And he was playing like way over the bar line and really, really super hip shit. I was, I couldn't believe how good it sounded. I'd never heard anything like that in my life. And I'm sort of sitting below the speakers and just, just like freaking out, but I'm completely alone and I got to be quiet. It was a very odd moment. 
but, and he's out there playing and I'm go, this is a guy that is kind of an idol and, and listen to him play and he's playing shit over the line and, and clear mountains like, yeah, no, you can't do that. That's too jazzy, you know, but you know what I mean? Like over the bar line in coming out on two and a half or three of the following bar instead of coming out on down on the one, you know, but as a drummer uh, and a musician, I'm, I'm going, Oh my God, that's so amazing. But yeah. They very likely rented the same kit. Uh, that was m- like March or something or April. So in June, we went back in there. And that when, when I cut the tracks, and we probably very likely used the same kit. And they always used Ludwig. Uh, Bob Clermont preferred the Ludwig bass drum. And, that, that, and, and in those days, that was a pretty dominant brand name still. Yeah. So, um, so they just used that. And Bob traveled with, he had a, he had a, a Black Beauty six and a half. And I think what he did was he just he put it in a in a, sh- in a case and he just fucking threw it on with his luggage, and he would go pick up his suitcase and go here it comes just bang or else, and and, he, and then maybe he probably put it up uh, above his seat. But I, I feel like somebody told me that he threw it in with his luggage, <laughs> so he had that, and um, you know that's what we recorded with was a Black Beauty. That's kind of hilarious. Oh, yeah. Bob Claremont just has the, the the reckless Black Beauty in his carry on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But well, let me reckless, just ask you that. And then, you know what album he did after that? And if you want to hear some similar sounds is I think it was right after he did Reckless. Uh, there could be something. And then, but the album I'm referring to is Simple Minds, Once Upon a Time. Mm. Right? Alive and Kicking. Yeah. It's the same mm. snare drum. It's the same wow. engineer. I don't know where they recorded it, but mm. uh, Mel Gaynor was the drummer and he's a badass. And man, you listen to the, you listen to the, the drum tracks on that record are amazing. So that was yeah. almost, that album was almost like a precursor to the sounds of Into the Fire. Wow. Well, check let me out. just, uh, you, you mentioned that uh, they would say that Mickey's too jazzy in some parts. Is, is that why they gave you the harder rock songs like Summer of 69, Kids Want to Rock and One Light Love Affair? Did they sort of say, ooh, we need a guy who hits harder. Let's get Pat oh. to do these. Well, that's, a, uh, that's another topic. Let me just address the jazz word. That was Clear Mountain's word for right. if you're doing something that's just a little too hip for pop music. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. It's a little right. too but musical. I mean, so that's all I mean. And and uh, I, I learned recently with Brian, we were just out going to get some lunch and he had said, uh, like, I learned new stuff. I didn't even know after all these years. He said, yeah, we recorded all that record. And then his manager, Bruce, said, he goes, where's the rock? Right. Something along those lines. And, um, and he went, huh. And I think he took that actual, you know, verbatim with, you know, you know, kids want to rock. He would have said something funny like that. Cause he's a funny guy. Yeah. And, um, he, uh, and, and then from that, I think he got together with Jim and they wrote another song and then we had been jamming and they, uh, I think he cut summer 69 with, with, um, with Mickey, but he said after we had been playing a little bit together, I thought, you know what, I need to give this song another shot. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's see, because he he said he wasn't feeling it; it wasn't quite there yet. Right. And then so he's like, well, uh, I gotta I gotta record "Kids Want to Rock," and um, I'm, I'm gonna recut that song. And then he went, you know what, let's recut "One Night Love Affair" too. So, and 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 I think he's done that for years. Where, uh, for example, on the album Eleven, I think that. Yep. Both Mickey and I and Jim Valance are on that record. And he probably, you know, he basically went, what's the best version of this song? You know, mm-hmm. it's like, and, and from that record, I realized why when we, we would buy records, you go, Steely Dan, have Jeff Picaro on some songs, and they got Bernard Purdy on some songs. You go, well, he's a better guy for that kind of feel. Right. right. So I think that's sort of, and I think, you know, Brian was probably even doing that back at Reckless. He went, okay, I've got two versions of this song. Which is the best version that's going to be the best thing for this record? And I think that's what happened. I think that's what you got to do, right? What's that? I think that's what you got to do, right? I mean, like you take one drummer and then, uh, you know, you, you try out the computer program in these days. That uh, doesn't work. All right, well, let's call up Paul Lyme and uh, put that country swing on it, you know? <laughs> or you call yeah. up Pat Stewart and you do the, you get the track. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's um, not to disparage yeah. anybody. It's no, some, no, it's sometimes just, you it's need what? those flourishes and you need that sort of, uh, that, that you know, it's like uh, talking about Peter Chris and, and Eric Carr. Peter Chris is more, all, or, or Steven Adler and Matt Sorm, you know, they're, they're right. more uh, musical, more out there. And then you need a guy just, you know, comes in with the, the hard hands and just, you know, bashes it out. And that's fine. And 
Kids yeah. Want to Rock turned out yeah. fine. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite yeah. song. So. Which one? Oh, Kids Want to Rock. Kids Want to Rock. I've, I've always loved that. that. It's come out a couple times lately. Yeah, and, I, I'm always disappointed when that when that's not played live. I got to tell you, I go to a show and they go, they didn't do fucking Kids Want to Rock. God damn it. <laughs> well, um, get but up see, front. What's, at, get up front. At the next, at next show and, and make sure when the request time comes in. Because people <laughs> have been throwing it out there. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, and, 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 and like he did it one night, we were, you know, a few weeks ago in Scandinavia somewhere. And, and uh, you know, he takes a, near the end of the show, he does a thing with uh, taking requests, you know, because there's so many songs that people want to hear. Right. And then right. so now that we've done all the Mutt Lang shit, people can say, oh, I thought I died in on the head. OK, boom, we know it. Yeah. So it sounds good. Um, you know, we did it a couple times uh, earlier in the year and I was like, oh, my God, I. I uh, luckily, <laughs> somebody said it at soundcheck. I had a quick listen. Wrote, a, you know, I didn't, I don't, I didn't intimately know the song. And then we played it that night. We played like a, you know, intro verse and chorus or whatever, you know. So anyway, but with kids want to rock, it gets the whole treatment. Like, where are you going to stop? You could right. stop after the first chorus, but why would you? Right, right. that's it. Yeah. Plus, it's a two-minute song. I mean, you, can, you can't really cut. <laughs> you can't really cut a two-minute song. Yeah. The well, next show, the. The, the, the tempo he called that night, it was about a minute and a half. Jeez, Jeez. super fast. Oh, it, it was blistering. It's the punk man. version. It, it's the punk version. Yeah. And he loved it. He's like, oh, that was fucking great. And I'm going, like, when you sit, when someone calls a song that you know and you and you go, okay, this is going to require me to do these things because that's what I do in that song. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is like early in the tour. Your arms aren't a uh, hundred, you know, a bunch of shows in, your arms start to kind of pump out. Mm-hmm. And because uh, you're fucking rocking hard every night, or I do. So mm-hmm. anyway, so anyway, the, the night we did that was it was pretty funny, and it was just blistering, man. God, trying to think, Mitch, like the, it's it's not really a random song. I'd request something super super random out of the. I'd be like, I want to be your underwear, like something like that, random. Right, <laughs> right. I, yeah, I would love for him to play good. Diana, but I mean, he 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 has uh, sworn that one off because of what happened, the tragedy. So, which is understandable. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I thought about but, that song last week. I hadn't asked about it or anything, but. Um, well, maybe he's maybe he's reconsidered in the last five years, but there was a time where he didn't want to play it out of respect for for. for oh, Diana. for sure. No, I, I, he hasn't mentioned anything about it. I, I'm saying I was thinking about it. Right, it's a great song. Going to come up because um, so, uh, yeah, it's it's a great track when it plays on the radio. You know, it's, you know, for years, even when I'm driving around, even before now, uh, when I'm in driving in Vancouver, there's certain songs like I tell him. I, I was driving down to meet him one day, and uh, um. For for a recording or something, I said, "Man, I just heard Diana on the radio." And it's so funny because I'm driving down here to meet you and do this. He goes, "Oh yeah, how did it sound?" I go, "It sounded good." Sounds I mean, amazing. I was like, and the guitar solos, you know, it's always yeah. All right, two yeah. two questions real quick here. Um, okay. The the Royal Albert Hall shows they were album shows, as we we've, we've said and talked about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, recorded for. Fairy are recorded to be released uh, because uh, I, I want my I want to get my hands on those. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, I have no idea. Nah, okay. I, I, I don't I don't quite know because I know he you know he he does do some re-records and and I thought and he he was talking about something the other day. I go, oh, is this going to be part of that? He goes, or the engineer that's working on it. He goes, no, it's not that, but I don't know what it's for. So yeah. you know, we yeah, posterity. We we recorded it live in um uh, royal albert hall uh, that, that's pretty amazing yeah so just, now just, and, and video crew and stuff too so we'll see i don't know i don't know what's going to happen because uh, you, you, go ahead the, well the industry right i just had this chat with keith before i was talking to you it's like it, it comes up at least if not every day every couple of days we're just talking about like we're all guys that came up at a time when there were record deals and there were there was radio and your music got played on the radio and there was videos and, and all that stuff which is it's those things do exist but you you have to be a really a, a new young artist there yeah. are deals still going on but but it's it's just way everything's way different man yeah it, TikTok it really is you know, loose so I made a DVD. We're going to sell it at our merch booth. Maybe someone should just be bold and just start doing that. And the worst thing that's going to happen, people are going to go, what the fuck is this guy thinking? <laughs> but maybe that would be fun. Yeah. Um, 
You know, you, you mentioned re-records uh, earlier this month. He released a classic or classics on uh, iTunes and, and, and the, some of the streaming services with Summer of uh, No, sorry, Run to You and a couple of the other songs redone. Were you part of those uh, re-recordings? Well, I did a couple. I did uh, um, did something. I don't know if it's I. You know what's funny? I don't even know what's going on. And, and then some <laughs> someone will post something. Yeah. Uh, oh, I went on your uh, Instagram page earlier. Yeah. And, and and I saw that thing and I go, oh, well, where did Brian post that? And then another guy from Halifax just posted the, the, the same, the ad for the Canadian dates. So um, with regards to lots of things and, and these classics released, I don't, I don't even know what's on there. So, yeah. Well, he put out, so they did Summer of 69, Everything I Do, I Do It For You, Heaven, Run To You, Please Forgive Me, Straight From The Heart, Hiding From Love, and Teacher, Teacher. So he put it out, eight songs. Oh. It's called Classic. It's on all the streaming services, and they're all basically right. re-records. Yeah. Well, you know what? I played on Summer 69. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he's been so into playing drums, he's just going in there, and, and whatever <laughs> it takes for him to do it, you know, he, he, can, he can cover it. He can play the drum. I mean, he goes... He said, oh, my God, I, I did a re- I recorded. He said something about Cuts Like a Knife, I think. I went, oh, you did that? He goes, yeah. He goes, oh, my God, my hat's off to you guys. That was so freaking hard. And all that fancy hi-hat stuff. Yeah. You know, so. so it's probably Brian playing the drums on these re-records then. Yeah. Maybe. I just heard the list of songs that you read off. I'm pissed off. I didn't get to play on them. I love mm. Teacher Teacher. Yeah. And Hiding from Love, the, the 2022 version, sounds great because... You know, the original version has that that I'm a teenager Brian Adams voice, and yeah. the new version has his I'm Brian Adams voice, and it's just like yeah, yeah right. that gravel's oh, cool. there. It's beautiful. We did we did the other night we did uh, remember we've done remember a couple of times. There's another one oh. we did. I think we did coming home. Wow. Uh, we did some randoms. Yeah, up in Scandinavia, somebody like no no no. You know, we're gonna get the random stuff in Montreal when you come here in the, in September. I'm, Sign me well, up. I hope so. Sign me up for hiding from love. Sign me up for teacher, teacher. Let's go. Yeah. Let's bring, I want to be your on. underwear. Come on. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> bring it on. Um, talk to me about that tour. Are you going to be part of the Canadian tour that's coming up? I mean, it's it's extensive. Yeah, yeah. that is great. Yeah, I'm 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 stoked for it. Um, yeah, we're just uh, we're just keeping on out here. I mean, you know, it's amazing that we're able to be doing this and that we're out here. And you know, um, it's weird up in Scandinavia. It's like like I wore masks all the way over, and then when I, after about a day or so of being there, I'm like, there's nobody sick there, and nobody's wearing masks. Right. It's yeah. a different world up there. Yeah. I mean, everywhere is a little bit different. Yeah. As somebody know? says to me, there, there, there's no COVID outside of Canada. There's no COVID. There's no COVID. There's no COVID in England. There's no COVID there. <laughs> well, there's no COVID there. something is in the U.S. and there's something going on in China right now, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah there we, is. we, got, um, we got monkey chicken pox over here going. All kinds of God. shit happening. Here we, I saw something about monkey something or other, but monkey it's not pox. related. It's like, ugh, yeah, yeah, it's monkey pox. Monkey pox. Is um, that what it's called? Yeah. yeah. And it's gross because it, it's like all these little boils that go that cover your entire body. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I'll do the COVID, but I'm not doing the monkey pox. No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't do, do boils. I'll do, uh, if I have a choice, <laughs> if I have a choice, I'll take COVID over monkey pox. Um, you yeah, mentioned but, Key Scott. We got to wrap up in a second, but the Key yeah. Scott one of the greatest guitarists ever N- never makes a list of great guitars because he's not Eddie Van Halen. He's not Yngwie Malmsteen. He's not flashy, but man, he makes every song that he plays on. I mean, he just, he just knows what to play. Um, I know it's, it's quite something. And we've talked about that before. And if we talked about it 25 years ago, it's, 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 it's the truth and it, it never changes. You know, it's just so yeah. great. Uh, it's great playing with him every night and uh, and listening to it. And you know what? We've had this chat a couple times this month, but yeah. who was Eddie Van Halen's favorite guy? Michael Schenker. No. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, actually, who was it? some of the same guys that Keith loves, like Alan Holdsworth. But right. but no, he. we were just talking about it. He goes, man, every time we pull into L.A., he'd come down and hang out at the soundcheck. Or, or our soundman goes, the, the first time that he came to see them, it was in the 90s, I think. And... and uh, he said, I'm going, you're telling me you're doing your job. And Eddie came and stood with you at the board. He goes, yeah. And he's fucking talking to me the whole time. Oh, hey, can you give me headphones? I just want to listen to Keith. And he's got headphones on. He listened to Keith Scott all night. You know, wow. that's Eddie. That's pretty so amazing. Keith Scott was Eddie Van Halen's favorite guitar base, guitarist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I saw it in print somewhere a couple times, you know. It's mm-hmm. come up. And uh, I, I think it was something like... Um, 
you know, around the time of his passing, they were talking, somebody was wrote an article about how there was the first time he was interviewed. Well, not the first time. One of the times he was interviewed in guitar player, you know, one of those magazines and he just didn't want to, he just wanted to talk about certain things and, and they were going, well, what about this? You know, they're always, yeah, they, you guys, no, they're, us, but they're, yeah, us, and they're yeah. like, come on, they, they the want an enemy. answer on, on that topic. Right. And he goes, Oh God, I don't know. Okay. The, the, the guy that the Brian Adams guy, I like that guy. He's great. You know, <laughs> Brian probably been listening to it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, how could you miss it? It was on the radio, right? We got to interview Brian. Keith and ask him about that and see if he ever had that conversation with Ed. Yeah. Yeah. He'd be great. Yeah. Of course. Well, of course I, I know that he's a Bruins, he's a Boston Bruins fan. I mean, that's, that's, that's an issue. Yeah. Well, there you go. You guys can have that chat. Yeah. I know. But no, but Pat, you, like when BC, when we were uh, in 2011 up against Boston and for him and, and guys of a certain era, um, like back in, in when we first got the Canucks, I remember I was, I was, I just, in my family, there was sports wasn't a big thing. So I didn't really know much about it. Uh, but I do recall that you it, it, out west, it was like you're either Bruins or if there was this new team called the Canucks and people were all for, for the Bruins. And he's been that guy forever. So <laughs> when, you know, he's like bittersweet, he's like, yeah, Vancouver is my town, but the Bruins are my boys. And, and they just kicked Vancouver's ass. You know, I have but such a disdain for the Bruins. Job, man. Oh, man. In my village, like our local hockey team. So I don't know what it is. There's like an obsession with the Boston Bruins here. And like even our local, like the Gunnawagi Mohawks, it's black and white. They got like the bear. Uh-huh. And it's like the whole thing. Oh, nice. Yeah. They're, they're cool. obsessed with it. Yeah. But it's yeah. because we're right in Montreal, like, you know, 50 minutes from downtown, it's like it's Habs versus Bruins, but like hardcore in my town. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And if you live out there, like my friend uh, Rob Baker, right? From the hip. <clears throat> their, uh, when they're, they're, their son, Boris, well, he's a rocker now. He's got a band. Um, and I remember when he was growing up, it's like, like I learned from him. Well, actually, he was into the Canucks because he liked Roberto Luongo because he was a goalie. Mm-hmm. And, but I realized if you live in that part of Canada, it's a mixed bag. You're like, you're either into uh, not the Leafs at all, maybe Ottawa or else Montreal, you know? Yeah. That's where it should be. Should be. Uh, just yeah. real quick. Uh, the odds, of course, are nominated yeah. for best new group, nominated for best rock album, songwriter of the year, group of the year, best video, all these Juno award nominations over yeah. the year. You're currently working on a new album. When does that come out? When, when do we hear it? When do we get um, the odds music? I'm not sure exactly because a couple things changed. There was this deal that was coming together that looked really good. It was a couple of guys that have they knew us and they were from uh, like one guy worked at EMI, one guy had been at Universal, and they were putting this label together. I forget what it's called. It's still happening, and they've got bands, you know, '90s bands on there, right? right. And we made this record. It's it's been done for over a year, um, and something fell through with that deal. I've been busy with a whole bunch of other things. So I haven't found out the exact story when that album's coming up, but it's, you know, it's on its way and uh, it's pretty great. We're, we're pleased with it. It's like some of the, just, it may be one of the best albums we've made. Although it's hard to say that, right? Because you're, you're biased to what you're doing right now. A fan would say, no, the best album happened in 1995 because of everything that was going on, you know, like, you wrote these pop songs. Now we're older uh, gentlemen and uh, the things we're writing about might be different, even though that band never wrote about chicks and, and, right. and rocking and shit like that, you know, but yeah, it's um, AARP and, and, uh, you know, brand for breakfast. It's great. It's terrific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. So, uh, but anyway, it, it's on its way. I'll, uh, when I, when I get some info, I'll, I'll email you and I'll let you know. Perfect. Yeah, that'd be and, awesome. Uh, yeah. There you go. So, well, good. I'm glad we, when did we talk last? It was like 2017, I think. Uh, yeah, 2017 or 2018. And, and we were going to do a part two and then we all got derailed. And of course, COVID knocked yeah. us all out. Yeah. So there was nothing to talk about. Yeah. It was good. I know. I was just going through, I was trying to find the Zoom thing from earlier. Even though I, I did put it in my calendar, and, and, but I was going, I think there's a password I need. So I was trying to find, I was going through all these emails from both of you guys. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. all of a sudden out of the blue, I think it was back in November, you're like, because I'm not sure why, maybe because I made an appearance on Instagram through the the Adams shows. I don't know. Might but all of a sudden, you contacted me, which was awesome. Well, I think and I saw just, you in the um in one of the videos that you guys shot at the wind backstage. I was like, hey, is that Pat oh, on drums? Right. Yeah, yeah, Pat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, I'll, I, I'm going to finish with this because this okay. always gets me. 
uh, Kerrang! magazine, which of course is a heavy metal magazine out of the UK, yeah. uh, voted bruh, bruh, the Reckless album as one of the greatest heavy metal albums of all time. And you, know, when you look at the charts from 85 and 86, you'll see Reckless, Pat Benatar in the heavy metal charts. And That's weird. When you look at it now, people go, well, what was that? But back then, if it had a loud guitar and a loud drum, it was heavy metal. I mean, it, it, you know... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Plus the metal, the metal from back in those days, like 83, 84, you know, Judas Priest and that stuff. It's just kind of like rock now. Well, it is. But at the yeah. time, you know, yeah. it's kind of interesting. Well, I recall we were over here for the Tina Turner, um, the tour with her. Yeah. And we were, oh, we got over, we did two shows in like, you know, up in Sweden in the middle of February. It's just a freaking igloo and then we had to go went to london to top the pops or something and then the next day flew because there was like two days off and so we flew back up to join the tour and i remember there was this young dude from kerrang magazine traveling with us and he was talking to brian and blah 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 so that's probably where all that came from but why would you say heavy metal it's so bizarre well uh, every so often i post the charts from back then and you look at the top 10 and it's pat benatar heart uh, Brian, and, it, mm-hmm. and it's a heavy metal chart, and you're like, you're, you're looking at this going, man, that was a weird definition of metal back then. <laughs> but we also got yeah. <laughs> to remember to the kids, it was heavy, like it was rock, but then like to the adults, it was like, oh, that heavy metal rock music the kids are listening to. Yeah. Now you look yeah. at it and you go, mm, that doesn't sound like behemoth to me. I'm sorry. No, yeah. it's not. It's not. Well, I told my grandmother a while ago, I was like, I'm interviewing the drummer for Brian Adams. She's like, oh, is that that heavy metal music? <laughs> <laughs> I so, hope they did say that. So oh, there you there go. You go. <laughs> All right, we well, we shall see you in September. I I look forward right, to that. Yeah. September twelfth yeah. at the Bell Center in Montreal. Tickets go on sale on Friday, May twenty seventh. You get them at eventco.ca. Pat Stewart, welcome back to the show. You're welcome back anytime. Uh, this was awesome. Love talking drums. All right, man. Good to good to talk with both of you guys. Good to talk to some Canadians. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we'll stay in touch. And uh, I look forward to. Uh, Meeting up with you guys in person or something. An all-new episode of the Mitchell Fun and Jeremy White Show. Tuesday at noon. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews, bonus content, and episodes on demand now. Visit youtube.com slash Jeremy White Show. Follow Mitch and Jeremy on Twitter. Yeah, they're verified. At Mitch Lafon and at Jeremy White MTL.